I've, I've enjoyed playing here. This has been over 20 years that I've, I've been coming to Royal Melbourne. This way golf should be played. We love coming down under. Look, it's phenomenal to play. The quality of the golf's been great, but the enthusiasm of the people has been the thing that's just been amazing. Tier of courses that I'm willing to shave my neck for in Kingston Heath to get me out of bed to shave. Especially somewhere like Australia in the Sand Belt, and I have so many great memories of being down there. G'day, and welcome back to another episode of Australian Golf Passport. Uh, I'm Scott Warren, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Matthew Mollica. Hey, Matty. Hi, Scott. Good to talk with you again. Looking forward to uh, a mixed bag this evening with lots of good stuff to discuss and dissect. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. A bit of a, yeah, bit of a wrap-up of a few things we've been talking about here and there, and then a few other things that have happened recently in Aussie golf that we thought, let's just dedicate an episode to clearing the agenda. So, um, Off the top, I just wanted to thank a couple of listeners who had left some really nice complimentary reviews of the podcast through Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Uh, we haven't actively asked for those and uh, gone out searching for them, but we do really appreciate them. And they probably allow other people to find our podcast and start listening uh, because of those ratings, our, our um yeah, our, our number of listens goes up a little bit. So that's really appreciated. Those of you who've taken the time and tuned in to every episode and given us a complimentary rating and, and five stars, thank you so much. It uh, is very good of you and we really appreciate it. Yeah, indeed. And yeah, I mean, it does it does certainly benefit us. So yeah, if you're able to to pop a, a rating on there or a quick review, we'd, we do greatly appreciate it. Hmm. Now, Matty, there's a lot to talk about tonight, but I want to start with the most important of all of those things, and that was you finding the bottom of the hole from the tee for the first time in your life. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm not sure it's the most important thing we're talking about tonight, but... Uh, it's huge. Yeah, it was, it's massive. Someone's it first ace is a, is a big deal. So, And it's not like you did it on a, on a crappy hole either. No, hole I, hole I love. Uh, 13 West at Royal Melbourne uh, with great company was playing with two friends who are out from the US on a, a hit and run mission where they sort of picked the eyes out of the country's top 10 uh, tiny little asterisks next to it in that it wasn't in a comp. So make of that what you will, but yeah, little nine iron to a front right pin uh, thought it was about 10 feet short. And then one of my playing partners sort of skipped up to the green a bit quicker than me and looked over the lip of that front bunker. And then his head, Swiveled around at a million miles an hour, and I thought, "Oh, he can't see a ball on the green. That's <laughs> that's exciting." So yeah, walked up and grabbed the flag and looked into the cup and thought, "Well, bugger me, there's a ball in there." So I've been wanting to, yeah, been wanting to have one. Um, one of the guys in the uh, in the clubhouse post round was telling me that he's had six and a half. So I might get to that story on another episode, but mm -hmm. <laughs> I was quite <laughs> quite perplexed as to how someone could have half an ace. Um, but yeah, yeah, really happy to get that done. That's three or four little items on the list before I leave the planet. Got to get a medal and get on a board and I'd like to play the old course again. And, um, yeah, an ace was one of them. So good to tick that off. That's awesome. That's awesome. And you've got a bit of a history with aces in Royal Melbourne because you famously videoed Andrew Presnell acing five West. Yeah. Um, whenever... I've got this habit of taking shots of people with their butt in the foreground and a great green complex in the distance. And I'll send it to them post round. Thanks for the game and text a couple of pictures of the course and of them. And yeah, Prez just flushed six iron to a back right pin on five West and it just never left the hole. And so we have this six photo montage of him at impact follow through frozen over the top of the tee, like a statue as this ball is tracking and then bounce, bounce, disappear. Amazing. So it, was, it was great to get. Very cool. Now you've, yeah, you've been outdoing yourself lately in terms of playing golf. Cause you, you like me can sometimes have a bit of a drought, but you, you parlayed an ace on 13 West at Royal Melbourne into a little recce to see the new short course at Kingston Heath. Yeah, so talk us through it. It's good. Been a, it's really good. It's really good. And 
even if you just went there without knowing anything about the project and what used to sit on that site, you'd I think you'd be blown away. But to think of it as farmland that was ploughed and home to asparagus and Brussels sprouts and <laughs> dead flat and now with all these curves and you meander through big green complexes and bunkers, um, yeah, the, the course hasn't had an official opening yet, but they've had a couple of days here and there in the last five weeks where they've allowed uh, a few dozen groups to go through. And it's in better shape than I thought it would be given its infancy. Mm-hmm. They've put they've put pure distinction greens down on the on all all the putting surfaces. Took four of us an hour to play. How many and holes? Just, so nine nine par three holes. Yeah, okay. And great flexibility in terms of making holes short or long. There's a little warm up green there. Uh, for those who sort of know the property, if you uh, just look to your left when you're on the 12th tee, or if you're playing 19 and you just walk beyond that green mm-hmm. and through the tree line, there's a little practice putting green there that's sort of integrated with the ninth hole's putting surface as well. First tee flows off that. And so you meander through to the right and then the left, and then there's a hole that plays across the block. There's one green complex that's eerily similar to 10 out on the big course at Kingston mm. Heath, so you feel like you're getting a simulation of that. There's a hole with a little uh, a little valley at the front that's very reminiscent of the approach, short approach on 7 at Kingston Heath as well. Some exaggerated curves, so it feels like some of the greens have come off national old. There's some great banks and backstops that you can use to advantage. Green complexes on some of the course are quite long, and so you could pin it right at the front or right at the back or move the tee block right to the front or all the way back. And one visitor hole could play at 70 metres and the next it could play at 130. So there's, there's great flexibility and variety there. I love yeah. that. Um, I love what you describe about it replicating some of the shots from the main course. That's a really cool little little feature that, you know, it lets you actually practice you know, simulated practice of exactly what you're going to encounter out there. It's, um, yeah. And OCM obviously responsible for that project. Yeah, they, they were. And I remember, I remember Mike Cocking holding member information sessions and uh, Mike talking amongst the membership prior to the vote that allowed that project to proceed. And he talked about visiting the short course at Pine Valley and how they replicate some yeah. approaches on their little course. And and th- and those are like complete copies. You wouldn't if you were dro- if you were blindfolded and put over the golf ball, you couldn't you couldn't know if you were on the main course or the short course. Those ones are uncanny. Wow. Yeah. Okay. But so cool that you guys have kind of gone the same route. And and I remember Mike also speaking about his experiences on the little nine holer at Morfontaine, which you've mm. also seen. And I think I think some of the wild greens there have inspired him and we've seen yeah. some of some of his work like that at Healesville. And and there's a little bit of that out on the short course at Kingston Heath too. So mm. yeah, great fun to play. Whether you went there and stuck around with a beer in 50 minutes, whether you played the big course in the morning and had lunch and went out onto the short course in the afternoon, whether it was late Sunday and you took your kids and said, look, I'm going to hit the full shots, you guys do the putting. You'll you'll have a blast, yeah. Mm. I feel like if I weren't the type of person that get, jumps out of the car as they're calling the group to the tee, if I was someone who turned up ahead of time to warm up, that would be the perfect pre-round warm up. You're hitting some full swings with irons. You're practicing your chipping and your pitching and your bunker shots and your putting and all the stuff that. Yeah. To me, that would be that would be a range session ten times out of ten. Yeah, if you're you're playing monthly medal and your tee time's at eleven thirty and you get to the short course first tee at eight forty five, mm. go around there once, have breakfast, have some putts, go back out and win this medal. Yeah, that yeah. that sounds like a day. That's good. But I also think I'm about fifteen years from turning up at eight forty five for an eleven thirty tee time. So yeah, one day. One day down the line. But um that that was obviously that was seeing the golf course, seeing the new short course was kind of the purpose of your visit to Kingston Heath and, and the highlight. But you also 
you also turned some heads in the clubhouse and on the golf course, I understand. I played I played alongside two very handsome roosters, Roger and Nick, and I at first thought some of the glances were directed at them, but I later realised, no, these people are looking at what I'm wearing. Not necessarily looking at me, but they're probably looking at what I'm wearing. So, yeah, I, I donned the Angus and Grace go golfing pants and top and uh, felt like a million bucks in doing so. And, yeah, it looked, yeah, looked fantastic. I was very, very happy to to wear some of that to the club. Got one or two questions as to where I got it. So, yeah, and uh, yeah, and I must say, I picked I picked up some some stuff from from Angus and Grace go golfing last week, and came home and did a little fashion show for my wife. And uh, and usually she hates my golf clothes, even the stuff that I think is kind of non sporty. And 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 what she came out of her mouth first was what I was thinking, which she's like, you could wear that to work. You know, you could wear those polos to work. You could. It doesn't look like you're wearing a golf shirt. Um, I know that's what we talked about last week when Angus and Grace Go Golfing came on board as a supporter of the pod is that it's super adaptable clothing, you know, whether you're playing golf or not, whether you're after golf or even if you're just heading out. Um, I picked up the knit polo, um, which which is designed to be worn untucked. It's kind of a cross between a polo and, I guess, a pullover. Um, really, really beautiful with with like a pair of jeans or a pair of chinos. Um Funnily enough, when I was when I was chatting to Matt Burns from Angus and Grace Go Golfing in the shop, and uh, and he'd mentioned that that you'd taken away some trousers and I was getting shorts, he said, "Oh, does Matt Matt's not a big fan of shorts?" And I had to break it to him that even when it's forty two degrees and eighty percent humidity in summer, Matthew Mollica does not wear shorts. No, not not that much of a fan of shorts on the golf course. I don't know why. It's it's weird, just not. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm not even convinced you have legs. Like, you may just have titanium rods, and that's totally fine. But I've never seen – I've known you for 13 years. I don't think I've ever seen your legs. Uh, so, yeah, we picked up some great stuff. Loving the Angus and Grace Go Golfing clothing. You can check them out at angusandgracegogolfing.com. Or if you're in Sydney, you can go along to the store, which is on William Street at Paddington just off Oxford Street. Uh, we're not talking about William Street down in East Sydney near the cross. William Street, uh, which is which is dotted with great little boutiques and, um, and stores, uh, crucially has a pub on the corner. Uh, so go and check out, out the store if you can in person. Um, the, range, the range is extensive. You can try things on. You can check out some really great old golf gear, um, clubs, putters. Um, there's some really cool golf art adorning the walls. So... Yeah, really recommend you check that out. Uh, really high-end uh, fabrics, really well made uh, in Australia. You know, it's it's a it's the passion project of a passionate golfer, uh, and so yeah, we really, as we talked about last week, where this podcast is all about celebrating high-quality, sustainable, fantastic golf courses, uh, and we're really we're really stoked to be partnering with high-quality, sustainable golf clothing. Spot on. And you'd be proud of me, Maddie, because the shorts are orange, and that's not something I would usually do. But um, one of my news resolutions was to be a bit braver with my with my fashion. So, yep, got the orange. Shot seventy eight in them on the weekend. So, yeah, I'm happy with that. Nice, well done, well done. What colour polo? Uh, navy, and the knit polo is white. Nice. Which is probably going to preclude me from wearing it to any Italian restaurants because I'm not, you know, I was raised in the country and educated at a public school, so my my table manners aren't necessarily up to wearing white <laughs> white knit to dinner. But uh, yeah, that'll look I'm good actually, together. Yeah, no, I'm getting more into that kind of stuff lately, so I'm, I'm excited to to have a reason to explore it. Like it, like it. That's good. Now, from one from one OCM piece of work to another uh you noticed during the week that and they they're kind of sneaky ocm because they don't promote every single thing that they get and then so for me this was an example of they popped up some after photos and i must admit i didn't know that they were working at mount lawley in perth but you checked out some of that work and pretty happy with that yeah so they've done a greens restoration project at mount lawley and the first part of that is open for play. I think it was one, seven, eight, and eleven that they've worked on. 
putting surface and and bunkers around the greens. Uh, it's always it's always sort of felt like a bit of a Melbourne sandbelt course just on the other side of the continent, and and they've given it that sort of treatment. So from what I've seen, they've done some really nice work, and that's going to continue across other parts of the course in times to come. Um, nice land, nice soil, obviously in a great climate, some great vegetation off to the sides of the fairways there at Mount Lawley. So if they can unlock the potential of that place and, and really get it as good as it can be, that'll be a fantastic achievement for the the Perth golfing scene. Terrific. As as we've covered on, yet to make my first voyage west of Adelaide, but yeah, Mount Lawley's been one that certainly has looked, I think it was a recipient of a, of a former club I belonged to and, and looking at pictures I remember a few years ago for whatever reason, whether it was that or something else, just thinking it looked kind of, a bit of untapped potential, like good land, great soil. It's cool to see that, um, yeah, one by one, those Perth courses are kind of doing doing the work to to step up. Yeah. So this week was also a topic we've covered probably in three or four episodes to varying degrees is the uh, planned renovation of New South Wales Golf Club in Sydney. Uh, so last week was the the first, I guess, presentation to members from Mackenzie and Ebert, who are the UK-based firm who've been selected to do the work after the club and uh, Tom Doak, Brian Schneider parted ways early last year, maybe? April or May last year, I think it was. So, yeah, so Mackenzie and Ebert have made a couple of visits to come and see the golf course. I think probably encouragingly, given that they're based on the other side of the planet, they've both been out. They were both here to speak to members. Uh, probably that hopefully speaks to a level of value that they're putting on this piece of work and, and delivering it the best they can. I think that's really heartening. The presentation of the members wasn't, wasn't as such like, here's our plan for the course. It was, here's our initial reflections on what, what we think we would like to do problem areas that might need fixing, um, et cetera. That said, like there's probably some indications, I think, of what the members and what golfers can can expect to see out of the work that they do. Um, just, I guess, from my, my perceptions of watching the presentation, I thought it was really, I mean, they have at Turnbury and a lot of the open rotor courses and Royal St. Ports over in the UK, they're really accomplished at the sandy waste areas that for a long time has been something that New South Wales Golf Club has been pursuing. You know, they built some themselves. Um, there's been challenges with maintenance of those. Uh, certainly Doak and Schneider had talked about the fact that they thought that was a solution to some problems here and there. There was a general approach taken um, by the club, which Doak and Schneider signed up to, and I know Mackenzie and Ebert mentioned that they're on board with as well, of essentially if a bunker is within 30 metres of the green, it's revetted, which the club went to revetted bunkers. And for those who don't know, so revetted bunkers are what you'd imagine when you watch the British Open with the lines of kind of, of turf sod on the face. They're great in high wind situations. The club used to lose a lot of sand out of bunkers. So went to the revetted bunkers probably 15, 20 years ago. So keep the revetted bunkers within 30 metres of the green. Everything else is is sandy waste type area. Um, so if you look at pictures of the stuff that Mackenzie and Ebert have done in the UK, really great use of those sandy wastes, really well incorporated into the strategy of holes, but also just, and some people will scoff at this and it will it'll feed into them calling New South Wales a dumb blonde, but really beautiful to the eye as well, which I think is super important. And I think one of the one of the knocks that I've heard on New South Wales, and shout out to Chris Kane because he's been fearless in giving me this feedback to my face, that the external views to the property are absolutely all world, right? They're the most beautiful views from the golf course looking out. But he has said, and other people have said, and they're not wrong, that the internal views on the golf course are not what they should be or what they could be. Um, one of the things that you notice when you take as many photos in New South as I do is that there's just a lot of green. There's a lot of grass, a lot of turfed area. Um, and 
I think that there could be less of that. I think it would feed into building some more strategy and it would just, it would demarcate holes, which Mackenzie and Ebert called out in their preso, particularly around, for those who know New South Wales, the 4, 8, 12, 13 area in that middle, kind of middle valley, I guess you'd call it. You know, there's the there's the valley up closest to the clubhouse over a dune into that middle valley. And then you've got kind of the oceanfront portion where you've got 5, 6, 7, 13, 14 sort of thing. That middle valley's a bit featureless uh, and with a lot of holes parallel, they sort of feed into each other with just these strips of cooch rough separating them. The plan that that Mackenzie and Ebert kind of detailed and it's it's exactly as Doken Schneider did. I'm sure it's exactly as any leading architecture firm would look at that piece of land and say, those holes need some visual separation. Uh, and I think that's going to be a really significant part of what they deliver. Um, you know, to the extent that when they were talking about the sixth hole, Matty, they were saying that it is a piece of land that in its raw form is the equal of 16 at Cypress Point, but you walk to the 16th tee at Cypress Point and what's built, like the golf hole, blows you away in concert with the setting. Six at New South Wales at the moment, the green and the bunkering is pretty low key and it's really the setting that that wows you. Um, you know, there's probably people who would accuse, you know, style over substance or whatever, but I'm certainly, I've always been of the view that you play golf with your eyes uh, and if there was a really striking green and bunkering in that location, right on the cliff, I think that would be, you know, that would elevate what's already one of the kind of top moments in Aussie golf. So, yeah, I was really, really encouraged by that aspect of what they had to talk about. Um, in terms of things that maybe make you think, oh, I'm really, really want to see what they propose in terms of detailed suggestions for the course, I guess I felt a little bit that in part, particularly around the greens, there was there was really the vibe to me that it was making tweaks only. You know, like oh, we'll we'll pretty much keep that as it is, and yeah, you know, this is a once in a lifetime, maybe once in a century opportunity to completely reimagine that golf course in terms of let's let's take everything and make it the best it possibly can be. There's some greens there that are they're good greens. Um, could they could there be a better green in that location? Perhaps I just I really hope that maybe their language was being safe so as not to scare anyone. Or I really hope that it is a case of you know what's the best thing in every location because this is going to be hopefully in in our lifetime the only the only opportunity to really find out how good that place can become. You know we've talked about how much unmet potential there is. I suspect that there's probably a fair bit of diplomacy to them initially speaking to members, starting to to broach the topic of course changes. They've they've got to they've just got to go slowly initially, yeah. I imagine. I think diplomacy is a very good word. Um I think it I think that the British approach is is probably quite different to maybe the Aussie one or the American one. And maybe that's that's what's at play is you know, don't say too much too early. Maybe they've had some advice on on how the memberships reacted previously to Prezos, but yeah, we will see. We will see. But uh, summer of twenty four twenty five is really firming up, and full credit to to the board of the club and to the membership who's backed this in, just shutting the golf course for a summer, doing eighteen holes all at once, and I think that's you know notwithstanding members will be without somewhere to play for a summer. Uh, I think that's going to be incredible to just, you know, put it to bed and then come back, you know, the next morning, so to speak, and see what's there. I think that's going to be such a great way to do it. Having lived through a nine-year redesign of my previous club, uh, yeah, I'll take the I'll take the overnight all-in-one approach this time, I think. Yeah, after the Bonnie Doon episode where we talked about course changes that took years and years and multiple Greenskeepers, multiple captains, multiple presidents. Yeah, the number the number of listeners that sent us messages and said, "Oh my god, I never knew it was that long," or couldn't believe that it took that much effort. And 
was stretched I mean, it out. Didn't feel like nine years, but you know, it just there is a there is a point where you just you just get used to there being work. Sweet. So that that work scheduled for the summer of twenty four twenty five. From what you've said in yes, that's right. Yeah, times past. Okay. Yeah, so if you if you're coming to Australia that summer, and you're not going to be playing New South Wales, and if it's non negotiable for you to play in New South Wales, then you're not coming to Australia that summer. Yeah. All right. Good to know. But yeah, no. Look, it's exciting. It's super exciting. Uh, the work just needs to get done, and yeah, fascinated to see in a few months when they come back to us with a plan, just exactly what it looks like. Now, to some unscheduled and unintended redesign work, Matty, uh, Tom Doak and his crew have been at National Golf Club this week making some changes to the last three holes of Gunnamatta. We've talked about that a few times on the pod, but uh, the work has been done. So what's that look like when it's all all run and done? Yeah, so we'd, we discussed the likelihood that 17 17- would remain unchanged despite it being at the heart of the the concern with course safety. For those of you who've played Gunnamatta, uh, walked around the property, you'll you'll know what we're talking about. For those who haven't been there yet, we'll put up. We'll see if we can put up an overhead with some lines of play marking mm. one seventeen and eighteen because they're really the three holes that have had some revision performed in the last ten days. 17's fantastic drivable short four at a great spot on the property at a great point in the round. And unfortunately, that 18th tee was concealed from the view of those guys with driver in their hand on the 17th tee. Uh, A few people had been struck by incoming golf balls from what we can gather. And so Tom and Brian and Clyde Johnson were out here for, I think, the last eight days, nine days talking to the club and getting started with the earthworks to put a solution in place. They've basically moved the first green about 20, 25 metres left, much closer to the boundary fence. And in moving that green to the left, that's allowed the 18th tee to move further away from the direct line of play that 17 sees. So the safety of those guys teeing off on the final hole has been returned. There's no uh, mandatory call-up. There's much more separation between 17 and 18. And, and yeah, most importantly, 17 remains unchanged. So that work's all been done in a week by by the sounds of things. Clates was down there chatting with Brian Schneider. I think they played a game together. I think that Brian and Mike have already struck more than a few tee shots off that new 18th tee. And 18 will play as a par five for those who haven't seen the the socials from the national or from from Tom himself. So yeah, they're just got to wait for grass to grow there and for that new work to bed in. But that sounds like the the best possible remedy to a, a prickly little scenario. Mm. So 18 T has gone back as well. So it's it's essentially back left of the 17th green now instead of short left. Yep, spot on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and then, so, I mean, the interesting thing as well when I think about that is moving the first green against the boundary fence. Obviously, two is a short four, which which the boundary fence is on the edge of the green. You know, that's kind of interesting having the two first holes using that out of bounds, you know, as, as a strategic element. That's um, that's pretty cool. Look forward to seeing that. Yeah, uh, that's probably... A bit of an uncommon one-two punch. I can't remember consecutive holes at any other Australian course using an out-of-bounds as a feature near a green complex. I'm sure there is one. we just got to rack our brains to think of it. I don't know how close that green will be to the OB fence. Mm. Be interesting. Be interesting if it's if that proximity is as as clear as it is on two, because two's right up against it. Mm. What's well, another reason for me to come back and say you're going to matter again, which is good. I didn't need one, but another one helps. We did have a question from from a listener about this work. Luke Bexley uh, dropped us a line and said, what are your thoughts on when a well-renowned architect such as Doak and his team makes such a significant mistake and the consequences of that mistake? I think no one likes doing warranty work, so <laughs> I think no one will be more upset about the mistake 
than Tom and his crew, except maybe the people that got hit. Um, but yeah, look, I think I think it's probably a situation where the three of them who were who were kind of key to the design of that course must have lost a lot of night's sleep trying to work out how they let that happen. Yeah, for those who haven't been down there and they just take a look at a at a Google Maps image of that pocket of the course, it stands out like a beacon. And they think, oh, how can how can this happen? And yet it's escape detection all the way through. Mm. The thing that I thought about, and it was it was in the context of um me when I was thinking about Mackenzie and Ebert doing New South Wales, because a lot I've had texts from people saying, I've heard from, you know, person X that works for, you know, this architect. Oh, Mackenzie and Ebert designed by plans, then they don't design in the field and it's going to be a mess. And and they do design by plans. One of the Maddie, when I was I was reviewing what they said about New South and I was looking at this work on Instagram, I was thinking maybe that is an upside of the architects who have well-developed, well-reviewed and reflected and audited plans for a course before they turn aside that perhaps that's an extra level of protection against something like this happening where designing in the field, this is a great spot for the tea because, you know, the visuals are good and it's a good shot. And maybe, you know, if if the period of time between the identification of the tea site and building it is a few days and there's three or four people who are consulted or have a think about whether it's a good idea, maybe that's how, um, you know, this can happen. Notwithstanding, look, Tom Doak's been designing courses for 30-something years and, the best of my knowledge, this is the first big clangor like this that he's had. So let's, you know, contextualise it. But maybe that is one of the risks of designing in the field. Yeah, you'd be if you if you're in the dirt and you're back and forth on a dozer and looking at a big area that you've purposefully cleared on the right side of a fairway for a strategic layup, and you'd be so focused on those elements of a hole, you could you could miss something along the lines of the proximity mm. of a tee to the B line of, of play on that yeah. on that hole. Yeah. I mean it's um, only two twenty five from the back tee. And yeah, two twenty five is not a big carry in modern days with modern gear. I wonder if some designers think that it's not that much of a problem and that they've just thinking out loud, are they are they happy to swallow a little risk for the sake of having a great hole and thinking, well, we'll just make it a mandatory call up? Yeah, the thing is, though, so I thought about that, right, but they wouldn't have compromised 17 by building 18T elsewhere. And 18 was probably one of the two or three weakest holes on the course, in my opinion, as that long fall from that T. So it's not like moving 18T where they have, or even if they moved it up 40 yards and it was a, a shorter hole, yeah, I can understand taking on the risk if that was intrinsic to building the hole you wanted to build that was going to be the showstopper, as in 17. But, you know, 18T could have gone somewhere else. I just think it's, you know, it's a mistake. Shouldn't have happened. I'm sure won't happen again on a Doak Schneider Johnson project because they, uh, yeah, they they wouldn't have enjoyed having to do that. They did it quick. Yeah, that's... That was remarkable, um, in and out, on the machinery, done. Um, and I imagine probably members will be playing it by probably April or something like that. I was wondering when they'd be back. Um, it's it's turned cool down here. We had a week of summer in the week just gone, and now we've, now we've got low 20s for the foreseeable future. Um, so hopefully they get some grass growing and they are back there around Easter or just a touch after. You know what that is, Matty? You know the, the cold, the cold you've been having lately. I had a colleague in Melbourne the other day, middle of, middle of February, on a Zoom meeting in a beanie and a North Face Parker. Oh. It's calmer for you guys, giving us so much grief about the rain, and the city <laughs> test. That's a square up. Okay, we'll cop that. You deserve it. Fair but hopefully, your weather does improve soon. Uh, because, and maybe this is to give some listeners an idea of some of the courses they might hear us talking about soon. Hopefully your weather improves because I'm I'm heading down to Melbourne for the first time in a couple of years uh, at the end of March. 
I'm going to be going to see Lonsdale Lynx, which I'm super pumped about. Um, wanted to see Lonsdale since it opened. Everyone just raves about how much fun it is and how out of the ordinary it is. I Yeah, I love that kind of stuff. Uh, so I'm really super pumped to see Lonsdale. And I imagine you and I will be organising an episode pretty soon after that to, uh, to have a chat about the course because I know that you're very fond of it too. Yeah, I think that's going to get its its own solo episode, Lonsdale. Mm. Uh, that's another one that we hadn't necessarily banked on dedicating a whole episode to, but we definitely will. I'm really looking I was chatting forward- to. Sorry, I was chatting to a couple of golfers from America and working on having um, them join us for an episode too because they've just been out here for a month and played absolutely everything you might consider playing if you were able to pick and choose everything. Uh, they're club pros up in the northeast uh, of the US, so we're able to take advantage of some relationships to make sure they saw what they needed to. Um, and I was chatting to them out at, at New South Wales when they were there and they were coming towards the end of their trip and we we're talking about Melbourne and they played everything on the sandbelt, but they just really wanted to talk about Lonsdale to me. Uh, so it, you know, made that much of an impact on them. Wow. Okay. That's saying something given the quality mm. of what they saw elsewhere. Yes. I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing what you think of it, what holes jump out and impress you what you think was a bit too funky, what you'd change if you could. Mm. Yeah. I'm playing with a mate of, mate of ours who's a member who absolutely adores the place. And I'm playing with another mate of ours who has a list as long as your arm of things that he that he would like to have some discussions about. So it's going to be an entertaining four hours or so. Uh, and, yeah, I'm just, yeah, seeing something new and something that you can't in advance just anticipate exactly what it's going to be like is going to be great. So, yeah, Lonsdale coming up. And then also on that trip, I'm going to going to get myself back up to speed with Royal Melbourne East, which we've talked about previously is uh, is in need of its own episode. It's very much an overlooked course in Aussie golf. Uh, so I'm pumped to, uh, to get down, see those two places, and then get on and chat with you about them too. Yeah, East is one that, I'm really looking forward to dedicating some time to. Uh, so just a just a great collection of holes that will be really is. later in the year. Prior to your trip down to Melbourne, you have a Tassie trip planned. Correct, yeah. So I'm down in Hobart this weekend for a um, really good mate of mine from up here in Sydney, relocated to Hobart a few years ago, and uh, and he's turning 40. So getting down there for his 40th, and yeah, it's going to be fantastic. I'm uh, I'm going out to Ratho to play the course there and stay overnight. A bit of a pre fortieth trip for a little smaller group. I'm uh, seeing Tasmania Golf Club and Royal Hobart, which will be sensational. I've got at this point, so I'm down there Thursday to Sunday. I've got Sunday clear at this point. Now I've got his fortieth at a bar in Hobart on Saturday night. So everything is is pending my head on Sunday morning, but I'm thinking about driving to Barney. I don't fly out till eight thirty that night from Hobart. I looked at changing my flight to Launceston, not too expensive. So I've basically got from when I wake up on Sunday until say I've got to be at Hobart Airport at seven, seven seven thirty on Sunday night. I'm tempted to drive to Barney and just play one round somewhere. I haven't been there in five years. I'm stinging for the place, but I'm worried that that's like a bridge too far in terms of mania. Thoughts? I don't think it is, but I'm not exactly the best guy to ask. Um, so it's a three-hour round. It's, it's three hours up there from Google Hobart. tells me three and a half, but from my experience, if Google says three and a half, I can probably do it in like two and three quarters or three. Okay. And which way do you go from Launceston to, to Barney? Do you go the the main Georgetown, Tamar Valley straight highway or do you go the more direct but windy? I've gone road? both ways in the past. The Google map has me going Georgetown up the highway. Okay. You know, so it's like if you leave it, and this is insane, but like when I was living in London, a friend of mine caught the train to Prestwick, which is near Glasgow, played 32 holes and caught the train back all in one day. So it's not the stupidest thing anyone's ever done, but it's like 
is it dumb to do seven hours of driving to play one round of golf in a day at a course you've played 10 times already? I don't know. I don't know. What else but would you do? I'm what else would you do that day? So you you the possibility is you you walk around the beach at Seven Mile Beach and have a little look there. Possibly, yeah. And this or is the I'm thing. In. I'll have already played Tassie and Royal Hobart, so maybe I'll play one of them again. But I will have just played them. Uh there's a couple of cool little nine holers around Hobart that that could be checked out, but by the same token they could they could probably be missed and I wouldn't regret it. I don't know, I'm torn. I'm torn. And you know what? Like, I think I know in my heart of hearts that I'm going to get in the car and drive out there and do it, but I'm just trying to be sensible. We'll see. But let's get this out. Let's get this out before the weekend. So if there's anyone listening who wants to tell me what to do instead, uh, I'm quite open to suggestions of a drive somewhere pretty or uh, – but I've been to Port Arthur and I don't need to do that again, and I don't think that Mona is for me. Okay. But any other suggestions, come at me. And you're going to Bothwell earlier in the week to see Ratho, so you can tick that off as well. Correct, yeah. So Tassie Golf Club, Ratho and Royal Hobart are locked in. Around around those movements, I'm going to try and see uh, Lanan, which is a little nine-hole near the airport. I'm going to try and see Eldersley, which is sort of on the way to Bothwell, which looks like a cool little nine-holer in a little valley with a creek through the middle. So those are, those are the two nine-holers that really jump out to me. And then whatever else happens, happens, I guess. Have you looked at the forecast for the Sunday? Uh, no, but it was like low 20s and sunny the whole time I was there. So I suspect it's the same. Because if it's going to be a five-club westerly, that's going to, that might make a decision for you. That's a good point. Yeah, I should look at, I should look at the Bridport forecast. Yeah, that's sensible. Mm. You shame to drive all the way there and hit <laughs> driver, driver, driver to and the first. Fours driver five iron, yeah. <laughs> Although interestingly, so maybe not interestingly, it's interesting to me. I've been and I think I did when we did our Barney episode, really cheerleading Lost Farm over Barnboogle Dunes the last few years. And I've I've made comments like that in um the Australian uh, in the Golf Australia magazine rankings that we do with the comments, you know, I've told people left, right and centre, Lost Farm, don't sleep on it. I reckon it's better than June's. But as soon as I had the idea that I was going to drive to Barnboogle and back in a day from Hobart and play one round of golf, the only course I pictured myself playing was June's. And which holes came into your mind straight away when you had that thought? Like all of them, but <laughs> three through seven. Yeah, I knew, I knew that was the answer. That's, that's, three through it seven. Does it, it does it to everyone. It does it to everyone. Mm-hmm. You just think of standing on that third tee and playing that stretch. And people say you can't the replicate the first time around. But for me, I think you can't be walking onto the third tee and knowing what the next hour of your life's going to be like playing those yeah. holes. Ah. The drive up. Like yeah. if you're say you've say you've given it a responsible nudge on Saturday night and you're in the car mm-hmm. and you've been in the car for two hours and you're heading past Beaconsfield Mine and you've still got a while to go to get to Barney. The anticipation when you're on that last little bit of the drive, like you'll be thinking, oh, I'm going to hit this tee shot. Oh, I've got that approach. Oh, I wonder if I'll be able to get onto the front edge of four. Like that, that, yeah. Yeah, you're a bad influence because I'm just, <laughs> I think I know what I'm, yeah. My mates at the forty are going to be like, "Why are you? Why are you drinking water?" It's like, oh, "I've got a, I've got a big drive in the morning. I've got to leave at five a.m. because that way maybe I can play both courses." It's ten past nine, Scott. Why are you leaving? <laughs> Look, I'll be fortieth, mate. I've uh, I've got to get some sleep. Goodbye. Uh, radio. So anyhow, so apart from the self-indulgent, just chat about travel. Yeah, the purpose of that is look forward to episodes on Lonsdale, on Royal Melbourne East. Uh, Hobart will probably chop up into you know the whole thing in one in one big episode. Uh, so have a look at all those courses. I'm really pumped to see Tasmania and Hobart, uh, Royal Hobart as well. So probably an episode coming to you on that. And Ratho, super pumped on Ratho. I've heard a lot of really good things, and yeah, it'd be good fun. But yeah, to, that'll um, be to- that'll be really good. 
you'll enjoy Ratho. Totally different speed, and there's a little stretch out the back where you'll be playing between big bales of hay, and it's very, very distinctly agricultural. And then other more recently constructed holes to round out that facility where it really feels quite modern and that someone someone with some architectural pedigree has designed and built those holes. So a bit of a contrast, but yeah, great fun. Great fun. Yes, I remember really. I went there 10 years ago, literally this month, 10 years ago, and picked up my first set of hickories from Ross Baker, who was living in Bothwell, not far from Ratho at that time. He'd refurbished these clubs over the summer and I took them out of the box and went to Ratho and not a soul there, had no idea where I was going and just started to potter around and hit shots, just went to an area near a homestead that I thought was a tea. Had a blast. Yeah. Awesome. Was- Do you recommend, I've, 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 Shout out Justin Ryan. I, I now very fortunately have a lovely set of, of hickories. Should I be taking them? Uh, no, I reckon you can play Ratho with modern stuff too. Okay, sweet. Very good. Save an airline snapping them for me. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful. All right, let's um, let's close it out, Matty, with a couple of questions from listeners that we got. And the first one is for you as our resident Melbourne expert. What is Melbourne's premier City Nine holer? Is it Royal Park? Is it Westgate? Is it Burnley or is it somewhere else? Royal Park's really convenient. So right next to the zoo, the tram drops you off close to the first tee. You walk past, you walk over the tram tracks when you go from one to two. Mm-hmm. Uh, Burnley. It's where, um, it's where Peter Thompson learnt the game too. Yes, yeah. So he lived not far from there and was encouraged to go there as a as a young boy. By all reports, they spotted not five time open champion potential, <laughs> no, but they they certainly spotted some potential very quickly with with Peter. Uh, Burnley is a course that I played consistently a long, long time ago, and it's it's reasonably rudimentary. It's reasonably central. So if you're in Turak, South Yarra, Richmond, it's a it's a short jaunt to get there. Uh, the other Northcote has been in Westgate? the news a lot. Westgate, we Westgate. So the forums that you and I frequented back in the dim dark ages, the boys from those forums typically had a Friday afternoon in February where we went out to Westgate once a year and we grabbed a beer and paid our ten buck green fee and trotted around there and then went off for a pizza afterwards and that was a thoroughly entertaining experience is westgate the course where there's a dog leg where if you cut the corner you hit it over a brothel uh the the brothel is on the other side of the stormwater drain and so there's a straightaway par four but if you sort of go off piste and you wedged in between the westgate bridge inbound lanes and and this stormwater drain you then make this fantastic cape hole and you bite off as much as you dare with the tee shot and then try and get home in two or you can play conservatively out to the right and make it a three-shotter and the drain cuts across in front of the green later on if you've got a short third so you need to negotiate that but yeah there's a brothel off to the left side of the stormwater drain so it's Mm. It's got lots of character. There's a dog leg par three there as well. There's a shared green. You walk under the you walk under the Westgate Bridge when you go from one to two and then go from eight to nine. The the flag sticks are just lengths of PVC pipe. <laughs> wow. Okay. And a really, really well stocked bar and it's dirt cheap. And its greens are deceptively slopey and deceptively quick. So that would that would be an experience that you would remember, mostly for good things. Yeah, I mean Cheltenham is very good, right? But it's probably not a city nine holer. It probably doesn't fit that description. Yeah, that's that's a good twenty five minutes from the CBD. Mm. It's it's in the heart of the Sandbelt, so it's next door to Vic, and it's it's probably a better course than any of those ones we've mentioned. Yeah, right. Oakley as well. Give a shout out to Oakley, which is a little little closer to the CBD. And that's where Sandy Jamison is with his one club project. So he used to be the pro at Commonwealth and has moved across to Oakley. Yeah, okay. That he's one club some, stuff looks cool. Yeah, he's done some really neat things in terms of trying to foster new players and increase participation rates with golf. Um, big public golf advocate 
and and yeah, Oakley's Oakley's got some fun shots to hit. So yeah, sweet. Uh, yeah, another question was: Is there uh, a location or even an existing course that could reproduce something like Port Ferry? Moderate cost golf for both members and guests with a course of similar standing. I think the course would have to already exist because just the reality of developing golf in this day and age is that the cost of building the course requires you to charge a green fee that is much more than than Port Ferry's charging. So I think that's probably the barrier to something being built now that did that. I think somewhere in the realm of your green fee is like $10 per million that it costs to develop the project. So you'd have to develop an entire project for $5 million to charge 50, which is just not realistic with land costs and development costs, water, sewage, building a clubhouse, even if the golf course was bare bones. So I think probably not anything new, Maddie, but I mean, racking my brains trying to think is there an untapped potential course that could have some some changes made to make it like Port Ferry? Not that I can think of. My first my first instinct was to say that Kennedy Bay could potentially do it if someone picked it up for a song. Mm-hmm. That's a good site. It's it's sandy soil and it's close to the coast and you could do it sort of lo-fi, reasonably modest annual fee. Yeah, I, you you raise good points about the the barriers to that. It's just it's it's got to be a great course in a great setting, and it's got to have been there forever. And you've got to have some good people in charge of it to allow that to happen. Otherwise, the model changes and it becomes something distinctly different, doesn't it? Yeah, well, that's right. And I think that just underpins how special Port Ferry is. Like this is not something that you could recapture somewhere else. It's just the perfect combination of the merits of the original course. You know the the land being such that you can make changes. You know without you know you're digging in sand, you can move things around pretty quick and and less expensively. And the fact that they haven't built an edifice of a clubhouse to try and you know attract a market that isn't there. Yeah. All right. That's us. I'm looking forward to the next few weeks. Yeah, some exciting trips ahead. Some great rounds ahead. Really looking forward to getting your thoughts after you've gone to the Apple Isle. And I haven't seen you since we started uh, started doing this, so seeing you in Melbourne will be fantastic. And maybe we might record one of these face to face. Well, we talked about having a dinner here one night, so yeah, we may well may well open a bottle of wine and just get the microphones on. Yeah, nice. I like that. Good idea. Dear, that might that might be. Mm, Tazia. Yeah, nice one. All right. Thanks, Scott. Congrats again. So- congrats again on the ace. Thank you. Safe travels. <laughs>